HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides, your host. So we had a great time here last week, um, way down here in the foodiness fallout shelter. We had guests, and we had a really excellent time discussing nuts and seeds with Andrea Tutungin and uh, Cara Tannebaum, who are the authors of In a Nutshell, Cooking with Nuts and Seeds. Um... I love those guys, those gals. They're great. We worked together for years, and while I don't miss the job where I worked with them at all, I do miss some of the people, actually. You know, the team, the family. Even curmudgeonly, misanthropic me can form attachments. I know, it's hard to believe, right? But even I can become attached. So it was fun to have guests down here in the fallout shelter for a change. And I think we need to do that more often because, um, you know, we have all this nice furniture down here that I've dragged out of various dumpsters, and it it needs to be sat on, right? So anybody want to come visit, open invitation, let me know. You want to be a guest on the show? Let me know. Send me a tweet. So during that nutty episode with the gals, um, I made a really big announcement. Do you remember that in the beginning of the show? Mm, remember? Anybody paying attention? What was it? Well, in the beginning of the show, I announced that I am embarking on a new quest, a new mission, so to speak. I'm taking on a whole new mission. I'm going on a worldwide, well, really nationwide, search for something. Like Don Draper did at the end of this week's Mad Men. Did you watch when he just got in the car and drove away, driving across the flatlands of 
the heartland across Wisconsin. He's on a quest, too. Picking up hitchhiking hippies, dirty hippies with beards and guitars. Who would do that? I guess back then you did. Don's on a quest. He's had it with advertising. He's done after that whole thing with McCann and the merge and Miller Lite and everything. He's done. He's hitting the road to find the true Don. Of course, there is no true Don because he's not really Don, but to find himself. He even mentions Kerouac when he's talking to Burt Cooper during his fatigue-induced hallucinatory vision of Burt. But anyway, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not going on any sort of vision quest in my car. I don't need to find me. I'm right here. I know where I am. And I have a pretty, pretty good sense of myself. I don't need to do that. No, what I'm setting off to find isn't me. It's a thing. It's the thing that I hope will solve most of my problems. Or, I mean, at least my nutritional problems. I Actually, I don't really have nutritional problems because I eat extremely well, as you know. Lots of leafy greens and lentils and oily fish and yogurt and lamb and apples and eggplant. What am I, Greek? Sounds like I'm Greek. No, not nutritional, per se, issues for me. What I have are snack problems, snacking problems. And not a problem like that I snack too much. Although, I mean, I do sometimes. You know, I'm American. It's our birthright to snack too much, right? It's in the Constitution. But more that I can't find the right Snack. The absolutely perfect right snack. The snack that will solve all my sporadic hunger issues, my blood sugar issues, my pre or post workout issues, my later on in the evening issues. I'm going out on my quest to see if that snack product actually exists. I'm looking for da 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 my perfect snack. Yep. So I'm setting out on a journey of snacking, basically, to see if there's anything out there that passes my test. Anything that I can keep in my backpack and take out after or before working out or while I'm hiking or if I get stuck, you know, between meals in the city and I get hungry and I don't want to spend $8, you know, for a salad or a yogurt or something decent or, you know, have to use a fork or a spoon. I have to find a snack that's convenient. That's shelf-stable, meaning no refrigeration required. That isn't sweet and therefore not full of sugar. That has protein, but not made from effing soy. And is made from real food, of course. And it should also be reasonably priced. A lot to ask for? Well, <laughs> yeah. A long shot? Uh, I think so. Wishful thinking? Um, yeah. Definitely. But I'm going to go into this with an open mind. Or at least as open of a mind as someone like me can actually achieve. I'm ready, though. I've got my plan set. I've got my protective gear. I've got my phone charger. And I've got a bag of almonds with me, just just in case. And I'm going virtually spelunking in the unexplored subterranean caves of the foodiness rabbit hole going way down. Places that no enlightened real food eater has ever seen or been. Places where the normally bright orange goldfish crackers are white because they're blind and albino because they've never seen the light of day. Places where nothing green grows and everything lasts forever. I'm going deep, deep down the foodiness rabbit hole to see that to see if just maybe, 
maybe, just maybe, in the past three years that I've been doing this show, maybe I missed something. Maybe I've been too quick to judge. Maybe there's something out there. Or maybe things have actually changed. I mean, a lot is changing, right? Look what's going on in the food world. Things are changing. Panera today just announced they're removing a whole bunch of chemicals from their food. It's a start. Chipotle's gone non-GMO. Nestle's taking out artificial colors. Even freaking Kraft Mac and Cheese is taking out the artificial orange color, even though it's still junk. Things have changed. So maybe, maybe it's out there. Maybe Foodiness Inc. and even Food Inc. have finally caught on. Maybe they've been listening to people like me and are raging against their corn slurry feed machines. Have they finally come up with something that I can accept, nay, even embrace, perhaps? Something I can proudly hold up, triumphantly, uh, right before I eat it and pronounce it, deem it, crown it, my perfect snack. I don't know. Well, I mean, I doubt it. I mean, not to be a naysayer or negative Nelly, but if there is a perfect snack, it's obviously just a smaller amount of real food, right? Take real food, make it smaller, snack. Perfect snack, obviously. Like a handful of nuts and an apple or sardines on toasted sourdough with Dijon, one of my favorite snacks. But after years of naysaying, of ridiculing, of scorning, of flat-out rejecting the entire world of packaged, processed, and manufactured, I've decided, to paraphrase John Lennon, to give snacks a chance. I'm going to see what's out there. Yeah. So in the name of research and in the name of science and of low blood sugar sufferers everywhere, I will be diving headfirst down that rabbit hole and I will be attending the International Sweets and Snacks Expo. Yes, that's a real thing. In Chicago later this month. Uh-huh. This is a three-day trade show that used to be solely devoted to candy and was called the International Candy and Confectionery Show. But now, it's also the snack show because the snack world has just become enormous. Just ugh, huge. And so, it's the, tra- it's the International Sweets and Snacks Show now. And it's at McCormick Place in Chicago, which I have never been to. I mean, I've been to Chicago, not McCormick Place. According to the McCormick Place website, it is the largest expo space in the country. Filled with snacks. So I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of snackiness there. So I'm kind of planning on steering clear of the sweet sides of it. I'm going to try to stay away from the candy and focus only on the snacks, on the savory. So I've given myself about a day and a half to spend there. I fly in Tuesday morning. I fly out. Wednesday night, I got about a day and a half to do the research, to get in, to taste, to talk, to assess, to judge, to reject, to embrace, and then I'm out. So I'll be doing some intensive research, some seriously academic snacking in the name of science for you, because I care deeply. Is anybody else going? You want to hang out with me there? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. 
In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. I am your host, Erica Wides, and I am in pursuit of my perfect snack. I've begun my quest, myperfectsnack.com. I registered it. I'm going to do something with it. So I'll be seeking out this perfect snack. What is it? Well, duh, we don't know yet because that's um, the whole point of the quest, to find out what it is, because I'm just beginning my quest. And unfortunately... Though, like, you know, the kind of smarty pants I am, I think I already know the answer to the question. But I'm not, I'm not going to let that preconceived idea color the outcome of my research. You know, you have to be objective as a scientist, right? You can't go into the research with the sense of what the answer is already there because it will color your research, right? So this is pure science for science sake, like I said, for you. Right? Remember that? I just said that for you. And for me, do I need a control group? I don't know. Anyway, we Americans, Americans, we snack more than anyone else on the planet. We invented the snack. We are the snack. We were built on snacks, this country, proudly built on a foundation of snacks. We created it. I mean, the Europeans... Europeans, especially the French. The French frown upon it, even though they're becoming more and more Americanized in their eating habits. All of Europe, all of the world is, really, but the French are so scornful. They frown on all of our snacking. They see it as like a moral failure. They're still all about their proper three meals a day. Three full meals a day, eaten at a table, sitting upright, using napkins and silverware properly talking to people they even train kids from preschool age when you start preschool in france starting in like nursery school at lunchtime you sit at the table and you eat with silverware and you eat real food in school all kids in french schools eat a multi-course lunch of hot cooked well-made actual food yeah food there's no, like, giant pallets of frozen nuggets brought in on the Cisco truck and then thrown in a convection oven and then dumped on the steam table to be scooped out along with the jello by some mean, hair-netted, smoking old lady, like at my school. No. Real food. Like a little salad and a cooked entree and then a little piece of cheese and, like, some dessert. Eaten off of dishes, real dishes with forks and knives, at a round table. So that it encourages conversation and interaction. Could you imagine kids in our school, schools eating that way? I can't. You can fail lunch in France. If you're a school child, you can fail lunch in France. Yeah, you can get a big fat F if you don't at least try your braised lamb brains or your endive salad. You can get an F, big fat F in lunch. Your mom will get a phone call from your teacher or from your principal, about how you didn't finish your cheese course, and they'll tell your mom that you need some serious talking to at home, and you better get it together, because nobody's going to fail lunch in that class. 
Here we feed our kids dino nuggets and tater tots and chocolate milk, and then we expect them not to fail in math and science. Hmm. No wonder we're falling behind. Now, not that long ago, you know, when I was young, it used to be like almost taboo snacking. There was still like a stigma. Snacking was seen as a little bit of like a bad thing, like a downfall. It was like seen as, it was like a moral failure by you or your mom for allowing you, you know, or or a failure of the self, a breach of your mom's parenting or of one's own self-control. You failed if you snacked. The no snacks rule was actually a part of our eating culture, you know, at least when I was little, which, you know, 40 years ago. What were then called between meal snacks, they were frowned upon. We had to sneak them. I snuck a lot of them, unfortunately. Other than, like, the daily after-school snack, that you were allowed. You know, and maybe, like, in kindergarten, mid-morning, you'd have snack time, like a Fig Newton. Fig Newton. Seriously? That's not a treat. But after school, you would come home, you'd be starving, you'd get your snack. In my house, that usually meant, like, a kind of mealy 1970s Macintosh apple, or maybe, like, a peeled carrot. Seriously? I haven't eaten anything since I had lunch at 11.30. It's 4 o'clock now. Dinner is in two more hours and you're feeding me a carrot? What am I, a rodent? It's no wonder I would sneak off and go downtown and buy giant Three Musketeers bars and hide them in my underwear drawer where I could go home and, like, secretly gorge on them. Limiting snacks is a great idea unless your kid is starving. And once I became a latchkey kid, you remember that phrase? Anybody remember that term? Latchkey kids. It was like, oh my God, in the 70s, mom's going back to work. Kids are going to have to let themselves in with their own key. They're going to die. I was a latchkey kid. And so I would come home and I would cook. I'd cook up a box of Kraft mac and cheese or I would reheat some old pizza or I would toast up a bagel and put sardines on it. It's no wonder I was a fat kid. I was eating an entire extra meal when I came home at four o'clock. And I remember once sitting in the bathroom and reading the small print on our family-sized tube of Crest toothpaste. And along with the exhortation to brush twice a day, I remember it also said, limit between meal snacks. See? It was part of the culture. I don't think the toothpaste says that anymore, limit between meal snacks. Probably, like General Foods put a little pressure, they probably own Crest, put a little pressure on the toothpaste companies to remove that because we want to encourage snacking now. We want people to eat that stuff. It was part of our culture because if you avoided snacks, you were morally superior. You were in control. You had good self-control. or You controlled your family. You didn't grow your hair long and become a hippie. You had good self-control if you didn't eat snacks. You could wait for that pot roast or that pork chop to come at 6 o'clock after your 20-calorie carrot at 4 held you over while you watched the 4.30 movie in the afternoon. It's now been estimated that Americans consume an additional 500 to 700 calories a day just from snacking. 500 to 700 calories a day just from snacks. Now, if you're an average-sized female adult, all you need calorically to maintain your current weight without doing any exercise at all is 2,000 calories max. And you're eating an extra five to 700 a day? It's no wonder we look like the people from Wally. I haven't mentioned them in a while, huh? Three meals a day and an endless graze of snacking is what's killing us. That's what's going on. If you eat all day, you never feel hungry. Those enzymes in your body never kick in that actually tell it to burn any fat. 
You're just like staying in like eating mode all day, like like cattle in a feedlot. And although there's there's no science behind the idea of the three structured standardized meals, nobody ever figured out that that's what humans need. That's just a tradition. It's a cultural convention that we created to organize the day around. We shaped our meals to fit our day or we shaped our day to fit our meals. I don't know, but it, you know, made more sense. Everybody sit down three times a day or in this case sit in your car, sit in front of your couch, three to- in front of your TV, three times a day. When we were still hunting and gathering, but we settled down and started cooking our food, oh, long about well, 100,000, 150,000 years ago when we started cooking, but we were still hunter-gathering. It made more sense for everybody in the clan to just sit down around the fire and eat together instead of continually grazing on forage, nuts, and berries, and roadkill all day, like we do now, in addition to three or four meals. But eating those meals together in an organized fashion socialized us. It made us less primal. It made us more human. And it's thought it may have been what facilitated and expedited the development of language. Because if you're sitting around eating together or you have to organize the collection and hunting and storage and cooking and eating of food, being able to discuss that actually really helps and makes it easier. Nowadays, our mouths are so full of Cool Ranch popcorners and microwavable taquitos that we're losing our spoken language. It's hard to articulate new ideas when you're in a Cheeto-induced stupor. I think we're regressing, actually. We don't actually speak anymore. You know this. We just text, right? I mean, I'm guilty of it. I would much rather send a text now than send an email or, God forbid, make a phone call. I don't want to talk to anybody on the phone anymore. Just text. Maybe emoji are the new hieroglyphics. Hmm? Have we lost our written and spoken language? Is it disappearing? Well, not for me because I write and speak basically for a living. But kids will now sit at a cafeteria table at school. They'll sit right next to each other and they'll text each other. They don't speak. They don't talk anymore. They don't make eye contact. It's way easier also to text if you aren't holding a knife and fork, by the way. So texting and dining don't really mix, but texting and snacking That's kind of a match made in heaven. It frees up your thumbs for the all-important stuff. We're going to take another short break, and then we'll be back with more snacks. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. I am your host, Erica Wides. That was definitely music to snack by. I would sit around and eat Cheetos to that for sure. No, I'd probably eat something a lot better because it was good. Anyway, we don't really need to stick to that three-meal-a-day artificially imposed feeding structure that most humans have. But we do for convenience and to keep a basic framework to our day, you know, sort of sets up the day. But Foodiness Inc. and Food Inc., they like to keep us eating all day, more and more. Not just three meals anymore, three meals plus snacks. An endless foraging and fressing frenzy. You know what fressing is? Fressing is Yiddish for snacking. It's actually from German. Essen is, an, is a human eating, but fressen 
is how an animal eats. But in Yiddish, fressing means snacking. Mm -hmm. The new American eating pattern is one long continuous graze that starts with donuts and lattes in the morning and ends with chips and ice cream before bed and everything in between. And in between, we're consuming 50% more calories than our grandmothers and great-grandmothers ever took in. Mm -hmm. Not that long ago. I mean, your grandma could be my age. I could be a grandma. So maybe your great-grandma. The food biz needs you to buy food. I mean, that's what they're selling, and they've got a ton of product to move, so we get stuff like the fourth meal. Remember that campaign a few years ago, some fast food chain? The fourth meal. And we get the snack wrap. And we get all those sort of miniaturized versions of actual meals fed to us as snacks. We get toddlers and babies and little kids with their little ever-present bags of Cheerios and goldfish and veggie puffs and veggie booty and all sorts of processed snacks foodiness and just plain junk food alike. And they're always stuffing some kind of processed crap into their mouths. It's like kids can't survive if they're not constantly eating. I never had a little bag of goldfish with me wherever we went. We would take a walk around the block. We'd go to visit my grandmother around the corner. I didn't have that little bag of goldfish with me. We moved to the suburbs. We drove to nursery school. I didn't have a snack on the way. My mom picked me up. I didn't have a snack in the car. I didn't need to be eating constantly. So why was I the fat kid? That's what I want to know. And the moms, they bring the snacks everywhere. To every event, you're expected to bring a snack. To every game, every car ride, every meeting, every event, there's got to be snacks. I'm the snack mom. We've got to bring a snack. What are the kids going to eat? What if they don't have a snack? They're going to starve. They might die if they don't eat a snack. Dinner's not for two hours. Get them a juice box. And absolutely everything is now available in cutlery-free versions. No silverware. So that eating doesn't interrupt our driving, our working at our desks, our meetings, our Instagrammings, our workouts, our TV watching, and of course, our digital communicating. If the line between a meal and a snack becomes so blurry that you can't tell the difference, then what difference does it make what it is? Is there any differentiation anymore between a meal and a snack? I mean, it's not like the snack has a pile of vegetables and some good protein and maybe some nice cheese in it, too. It's more likely to be made from the enormous stockpile of commodity soy and corn that we produce, processed and flavored and sweetened and salted and extruded and wrapped and then sold back to you at 7-Eleven or fed to livestock and then ground up and sold to us as a quesarito. We don't need a quesarito. Nobody needs to eat a quesarito. Well, I don't even know what a quesarito is. Something with steak and something. I saw an ad. I was very repulsed. So here's what I need. I need the perfect snack. We know that. I'm, in the, I'm, I'm on the quest, right? Here's what the snack quest will hopefully, or I mean, ideally, in my snack dreams, but I doubt it, turn up. Which hopefully will soon be, oh, by the way, my perfect snack will hopefully soon be the name also of a separate blog, Separate from the flog for this show and separate from my Huffington Post blog, which you should also check out. Now, I eat a very healthy, almost comically righteous breakfast. My breakfast is like a joke. I eat quinoa with a pastured egg and turmeric and chia seeds and nori and pumpkin seed oil and sesame seeds. I know. It's like Portlandia and Brooklyn got together and pooped in a bowl and that's what I eat for breakfast. But it keeps me going. For like a good four hours, which for me is a long time between eating. 
But I usually work out around 1230 in the afternoon, which means if I eat breakfast at eight o'clock, then by noon, I'm getting hungry, but I don't want to eat right before the gym. And if I wait until after, then I get too hungry. My blood sugar starts to drop. I get shaky and hangry. And you know how that goes. So I usually eat what I call pre-lunch at about 1145. Now, that's if I'm home. If I'm already out, then that's the first empty slot where the perfect snack will fit in. But the perfect snack for me at that time is very specific. It can't be sweet. That doesn't work for me because I don't eat much sugar, and sugar's no good before a workout anyway. It can't be too big or too salty, and it has to be really easy and convenient because, after all, I am still American. Now, after this snack and the workout, then I eat lunch. Again, very healthy, basically along the same lines as what I ate for breakfast. But then again, by 3 or 4, I need another snack before dinner comes around at around 7. And despite how large my meals are, you're probably just saying, oh, she should just eat more. No, you know what? My body burns them up, and there goes the blood sugar again. I know what to eat to keep it steady, but once I'm hungry... Well, I mean, I've never seen the Hunger Games. I don't even know what it's about. But in my mind, it's all about me at 3.45 in the afternoon. So when I'm out hiking on the weekend, I'll sometimes eat these like sesame seed and nut bars that I buy at my local produce store. And they're good, but they're kind of sweet. They're not too sweet, but they're good. And for strenuous hikes, they're okay. But for a mid-morning weekday snack, they're no good. Too sweet. So I'll usually grab, you know, a fistful of almonds if I remembered to pack them in my bag because if I didn't, I refuse to go buy any more almonds while I'm out because I have three pounds of almonds at home in my freezer and my thrifty nut job mind won't allow me to go out and buy more. What I really want is this. Here it is. My perfect mythological beast of a snack. The unicorn of snacks. Okay? It's a handheld non-refrigerated block made up of some kind of protein, but not from soy. Maybe like a firm, chewable form of Greek yogurt, right? Think about that. Like a denser marshmallow, but made from Greek yogurt. Layered with like a nice thick band of pureed broccoli or kale or spinach in there. Maybe some kind of cheese in there for some fat and some flavor. Not sweet, not too salty, no refrigeration needed. Handheld. Perfect. Does it exist? No, not yet. Has anyone come close? Well, I tried some bars once that I bought at Whole Foods that were made from lamb and cranberries, and they had a turkey and sweet potato version that I think were trying to be that, but they were not good. They were shelf-stable. They weren't sweet. They hit all the right marks, but they were... Um, how do I put it? Disgusting. They were like dog treats for a dog that you hate. They didn't work for me at all. So I'm putting it out there. Just putting it out there to the universe and the world and the world of foodiness. Are you up for this challenge? Can someone invent this perfect snack? Maybe I'll have to do it myself. Maybe that's what we're going to do down here in the fallout shelter. We have some extra room. Maybe we'll open up a lab, a little test kitchen, a little food lab. We'll start experimenting. Maybe we'll come up with it. We'll see what we can do. But in the meantime, I'm off to the International Sweets and Snacks Expo in Chicago. May something, 19th through 21st. Let me know if you're going to be out there. We'll hook up. We'll meet. We'll have a beer. We'll have a snack. In the meantime, if you don't want to eat snacky shit and you don't want to eat foodiness shit and you don't want to eat shit in general, 
you know what to do. Keep listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food with me here on Heritage Radio Network. We're out of time. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 